1: Hello, and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Europe's reaction to the election of Donald Trump. And with me to discuss that is George Parker, our political editor here in London, and Arthur Beasley on the line from Brussels. George, the British government, as one would expect, came out with a pretty bland statement. They look forward to working with the Trump administration and so on. But behind the scenes, what do you think they really think?
2: Well, I think the first thing to say, behind the scenes... They weren't really expecting Donald Trump to win. Certainly the British Embassy in Washington was saying that the polls were narrowing and it was possible that Donald Trump would win, but they weren't expecting it. On the days leading up to the election, the Prime Minister was in India and all of her aides were sort of rather laughing off the idea that Donald Trump could win. So frankly, they are taken aback and a little bit appalled by what's happened because they have obviously heard what Donald Trump's had to say about free trade and Theresa May sees herself as a champion of free trade. I've seen what he's got to say about Russia, what he's got to say about defence, and all of those things have been ringing alarm bells for months in the London political establishment. So they weren't expecting it, and they certainly didn't want it. Having said that, there's been a complete change of tack, as you'd imagine, since uh, Mr Trump's election. And now the race is on for Theresa May to get over to Washington as soon as she can, probably before Mr Trump's inauguration in January to try and influence um, this person who will be our key international ally for the next four years at least.
1: And there are bits of the British government, particularly the Conservative wing that are particularly keen on Brexit, who perhaps do see this as an opportunity to forge a new uh, relationship and who buy Donald Trump's idea that Brexit and his election are in some ways part of the same phenomenon.
2: They are sort of sticking two fingers up to the elite. And you're right, there are some people on the right of the Conservative Party, who believe that Mr Trump does represent an opportunity, someone who they think might, in the end, advocate smaller government, possibly, although I'm not sure that's going to necessarily transpire. They also look at the way that Nigel Farage, the UKIP leader, has managed to inveigle his way into Trump Tower for a meeting with the president-elect, and they look on rather enviously at him. And there are some on the Conservative right, including Liam Fox, the International Trade Secretary, who think that The British government should be using people like Nigel Farage, with his link to this new populist trend in America, to exert some British influence.
1: And Arthur, very strong contrast between the bland to, in corners of the British government, mildly enthusiastic reaction to Trump to the very guarded statement, but unmistakably... Almost a warning issued by the German government where Angela Merkel said the US-German partnership is based on common values and we look forward to working with Donald Trump on the basis of those values. How concerned do you think they are in Berlin and how much do you think they're going to stick to that very guarded position or do you think they'll have to drop him?
0: I think the sense very much is that officially people are saying, keep calm and carry on. This is a political real time and you have to live with the election result. But certainly here in Brussels, the sense was almost completely unexpected and that there was little by way of planning for this kind of outcome. It is true the language was very guarded in Berlin. And I think that's the kind of language that people are saying that one hears behind the scenes in private conversation. There is a considerable apprehension, I would say, around the strategy that Mr. Trump in office might deploy in his engagements with Russia. There are questions also, as you will know, over the nuclear deal with Iran. And there's a very much a sense that these are issues which are coming down the track at a rate of knots.
1: And the EU, in fact, even went to the lengths of having an emergency meeting of foreign ministers, albeit one that the British and the French didn't go to did much come out of that? Well that's right little enough by way of substance
0: the backdrop here is that the foreign ministers and indeed defence ministers were due in Brussels for scheduled meetings on Monday and Federica Mogherini who is the Italian European foreign policy chief on the basis that most ministers would be in town on Sunday night decided that she would call them to a special dinner on Sunday to discuss the election outcome. Now I think amongst those who were in favour of this kind of meeting the was a sense that the European ministers should be on their guard and that there should be a common front, if you like, in the face of whatever was going to happen coming out of Washington. But that's not exactly what happened. And as we know, Boris Johnson and indeed his French counterpart decided that
1: they were not going to attend, and they didn't. And George, I mean, Boris Johnson went a little further. He decried what I think I think he called the phrase was the collective whingerama from European foreign ministers essentially told them to belt up accept the presidential election result in America. Does that suggest to you that Britain is going to cling to the special relationship, come what may? Or do you think behind the scenes, people like Boris Johnson and Theresa May do have some red lines where they just won't go along with America, whatever America does?
2: Well, I think the bottom line is that they will cling to the special relationship, come what may. I mean, given the fact we are in the process of severing our links with our biggest commercial partners in Europe, then at the same time, simultaneously losing our grip on our main strategic relationship with the United States would be a disaster, I think, from a foreign policy point of view. So they are determined to stay close to America. And don't forget, Boris Johnson was someone who clashed with Donald Trump during the presidential campaign. You remember that President Trump-to-be said that coming to London was a dangerous thing to do, and parts of London were no-go areas where the police were afraid to go for fear of attack by Muslim extremists. And Boris Johnson was the mayor of London at the time and said that he wouldn't go to New York or part of New York for fear of bumping into Donald Trump. So there's no love lost there particularly, but I think from a strategic point of view, they feel the need to stick close to America. On the emergency, and in quotes, dinner that Boris Johnson didn't attend, there was a widely held view across the British government, not just Boris Johnson, but Prime Minister as well. And I think I'm inclined to agree with them, which was that it was a strange thing for the European Union to do. Normally when they convene emergency meetings of foreign ministers, it's to deal with terrorist attacks or military coups or... Floods or whatever. But to hold an emergency meeting when there was already a meeting planned for the next day to discuss the results of a democratic election seems slightly odd.
1: Of course, then everyone's now wondering what the knock on effect on European politics will be. It's a big election year in Europe in 2017. We've got the Dutch elections in March, and the one I guess that we're looking at particularly is the French presidential election. People wondering whether Marine Le Pen might. Actually do it and win the French presidency in the light of the Trump election. Arthur, I want to ask you a kind of twofold question. Do you and do people around you in Brussels now take the prospect of a Le Pen presidency more seriously? And if it happens, do you think it's the end of the EU?
0: I'd have to answer in the yes to both questions. I think after the Brexit result, which I think people in Brussels at the end of the day figured that uh, it would be a Remain vote at the end of the day, and now after the wholly unexpected Trump shock, I think it is accepted that in the spirit of the times that there is a certain currency for populist politics and Marine Le Pen may be the person in the frame next. Now, as against that the countervailing argument would say look at in the french presidential election it's a two round election so at the end of the first round, the top two candidates go through to a second round, and that in that event, it is commonly assumed that Marie Le Pen could get into the final round, but that, as happened with her father many years ago against Jacques Chirac, that all of the other forces in French politics, no matter what political slant they were coming from, would arraign against her. But then, I mean, you have to look at the extent to which Mr. Trump's election was so unexpected and the extent to which... The Brexit vote indeed was a shock and people are saying that anything is now possible. As to whether that would change, how that would change European politics, well there are, I mean, two big issues. The first is that Miss Le Pen does not want France in the Euro and more to the point, she doesn't want France in the European Union and it's very difficult to imagine a European Union without
1: France in it. So that's one big issue but one thing that's in the sort of that might happen category but something we're already dealing with and what I'd like to finish on, is Brexit. George, early days yet, but do you think the Brexit negotiations and process, that the dynamic is any way affected or the mood affected by Trump, and does it make it harder or easier?
2: I think what we're definitely going to see is the European Union, seeing the Trump election as a sign, they really do have to look after their own interests. The fact that Trump is threatening to withdraw the security guarantee from Europe, or at least parts of Europe, will have caused alarm right across Europe, particularly in the central eastern European states. It could force the European Union closer together, and that could mean that Britain will have to be punished in some way for voting to leave the European Union as a way of discouraging others from doing the same thing and breaking up the European Union. So I think in that respect, it could complicate things. But to be honest, I think that's around the edges. I think things are going to be complicated enough as they are already. It's going to be a really tough two years for Britain and for the European Union, Uh, But certainly the Trump election doesn't help things.
1: Because, Arthur, I mean, some arguments you hear amongst the kind of look on the bright side characters in London is, well, actually, this opens up the possibility of Britain making a deal with the United States, a free trade agreement. If that gives Britain that option, maybe the EU will have to deal with Britain a little bit more carefully. Do you see anything in that?
0: That may be there in the undercurrent, but at the same time, I think people in Brussels look to the, the photograph of Nigel Farage being essentially the first political figure from a European country being through the, going through the golden doors of Trump Tower. And that people look aghast at that kind of thing. The other thing is, I mean, yes, I mean, on the trade element of things, it is true that Barack Obama, the outgoing president, said that Britain would, would have to go to the back of the queue in a Brexit scenario in terms of a new trade deal with the US. It may be that enlightened people around Donald Trump, when he puts his administration together, will see purchase in agreeing a trade deal with Britain and doing so quickly. But, I mean, all of that is still to play for, it seems to me. And at the moment, all of the discussion centres around who exactly is going to get what in the Trump administration and what exactly can be divined from those particular appointments.
1: Well, lot to look forward to, at least in the sense of to anticipate that we can discuss. So thank you very much indeed to Arthur Beasley in Brussels, to George Parker in Westminster. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. It's presented by me, Patrick Jenkins, the financial editor at the FT, and I'm joined by a team and an external guest every week. You can find this every Tuesday at ft.com slash podcasts.